peer out to the deserted mountain pass ahead of you. It has been aptly nicknamed Death Road by the locals. Three people who were traveling alone have disappeared here without a trace. Now you're here and somehow the weight of your axe is not a comfort. Looks on your companions' faces say they feel the same way. Take a deep breath in and step out of your cover onto the path. Slowly, cautiously, you make your way forward, teammates at your back, and trusted battle axe at the ready. It is not until you're in the center of the path and far from cover that you hear a deep and almost gurgling caw. Out of the corner of your eye, you catch the slight shadow of a humanoid skimming across the ground. You look up and you start to swing your weapon as this massive avian creature with the fanged maw of a stag and two huge black antlers swoops down at you, talons ready. Roll for initiative. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Welcome, creatures, to another episode of Encounter This. I think our technical first one of 2021, uh, dinosaurs being a bit of a flip-floppy mess, and that's sort of the fun of it. Uh, but today, uh, I am your co-host, uh, Freeman Eat Your Heart Out Eiston, and today, James, the Duke of Bourbon, will be taking us through the P- Periton? Periton? Um, and the Monster Manual, page 251. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty partial to Periton, um, but I'm sure it's, there's something else. Yeah, so I have the pronunciation written in here, but I'll be honest, I wrote this episode like mid-December, probably. Um, so so Periton okay. is the... Is the Correct pronunciation, according to my notes here. Oh, okay. Periton. Yeah, so I'll... I'll weird. Em- emphasis uh, on the E? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, maybe not emphasis, oh. but like it's a hearty. Um, so I'll, okay. I'll be slipping into my, my usual uh, Central East Coast slur and uh, just referring to them as Peritons. <laughs> Perit- uh, it's Peritons, I like. I like Periton. It's simple. Yeah, and it's clean. I think uh, getting caught up in that why is not important. Yeah, and I think that that why is where the where the hard e comes from because it's per e ton so cool. periton. Um, mm-hmm. We are still hitting the hard e with the with periton, but uh, it just it, right. it's not a two syllable word. I don't think. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. Well, I mean, at least for once, we uh, instinctually agree on the pronunciation. <laughs> that might be because I've, I've said it at the table a few times, and, and I've just yeah, maybe. In, yeah. incepted it into your brain. It's, it's, it's very possible. <laughs> so these are a creature that I have a passing familiarity with. I've run them once or twice before, and uh, I had a lot of fun running them, and there's a lot of good memories from my table from running them. So I chose them mm-hmm. to start off uh, 20... 2021. Sorry, I had to consult my calendar there. Um, (laughs) That's not a start of the year thing for me. That's an everyday thing for me. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a long holiday season there, listeners. (laughs) These creatures come to us all the way from first edition, appearing in second, third, and fifth. Um, 
and I was thinking about this as I was writing this, and I don't know if this is factual or not, but I'm starting to wonder if maybe so many of these creatures have been emitted for from 4th edition. A, because 4th edition was supposed to be more of like an online program, and it would have been harder to show things in three-dimensional, so getting that Z-axis for the fly would have been more difficult. Or because oh, okay. I believe the system had a much shorter lifespan than either 3rd edition or uh, any of the previous editions. Right. So do you imagine that uh, maybe they were planned for an- yeah, another book, but just never I think got that to might it? have something to do with it. But the way the tactics mm. are written for fourth edition, that could have something to do with it as well, um, because it is really like hardcore yeah, totally. grid based system, and it's very difficult to mimic a Z axis on a grid. Right. Um, well, yeah, online it's relatively difficult to mimic a Z axis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's my speculation. I don't exactly know the years when 4th edition was technically supported. I am ready for any of the listeners out there to correct me, but I believe 5th edition is already either creeping up on or past how long 4th edition was out. I don't think 4th edition was out um, too much more than like eight, seven or eight years. But the uh, let's get into the physical physical description of these creatures. Yeah, tell me about these weirdos. So Weirdo is right. These are a chimeric creature, which are an amalgamation creature, which we've touched on before. Mm-hmm. These ones in particular have the dark green feathers of a raptor. Uh, that's the bird, not the veloso that we touched on in last episode. <laughs> Fairly appropriate, despite that, though. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, males have a light blue feathered chest and females have a pale brown. So there's a lot of uh, second and third lore going into all these descriptions here. Okay. I've, uh, I've amalgamated all this stuff that I thought was interesting or that I like. Mm-hmm. The defining feature of the parrot's in is that they have this the head of a stag with purple or blue-black fur, so it's very, very dark, mm-hmm. large protruding fangs, and glittering, glowing orange or red eyes. On top of their head, they have strong, sharp, jet-black antlers. If you see this creature from the sky, you're more likely to see the shadow of a human than the shadow of a periton. So it actually doesn't project its own shadow. It projects that of a human being or a humanoid. Oh, I vaguely remember that when we first encountered these guys. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun describing this encounter. I think it was yeah. one of my first ones where I really, really got my rocks off yeah. uh, in the description. What a really strange like phenomenon to have for, have, for this creature to have. Really cool. And they are about two meters or seven feet tall with a wingspan of 1.5 meters or about five feet. So they're not, they're not small creatures. They're, mm-hmm. they're medium. Um, yeah. Much smaller than an actual stag, but they'll still fuck you up. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a couple of different origin myths in the D&D lore. So the first is the very simple scholarly one, and it's that they first believed Peritans were humans who had been transformed due to a curse. Okay. Uh, relatively straightforward, explains the humanoid shadow as well as some other things we'll touch on in a, in a second here. Um, there is a famous bardic legend of an adulterous man whose wife cut out the heart of the younger, more beautiful consort. The wife mm. then ate the heart to forever win her husband's love. Oof. It's actually succeeded, believe it or not, until her deeds were exposed, upon which she was hanged, and the lingering magic in her turned a bird feasting on her remains into the very first periton. That's a such a bardic tale, you know? It's like very uh, mysterious and macabre. You can kind of just hear, you know, hear a bard singing that in the corner of the tavern. 
you know, <laughs> everyone kind of cheering and then getting a little dour and yeah. And then probably a little spooked. Definitely. It, it, it has, um, elements of like a, like the Banshee song that we talked about in a, yeah. in a previous episode and like very, very dark roots. Like, like you said. Yeah, I mean, that was that's what I thought of right away with just like the simple scholar explanation that, you know, there were humans transformed by a curse. You know, I was like thinking right away, harpies, you know, they're another hideous, deformed monstrosity, winged monstrosity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess as implied by that, they are in fact carnivorous birds. Elves, half-elves, and humans are their preferred prey, and they are absolutely relentless and single-minded until that prey has been killed. So they they believe the Peritons are about as intelligent as a human being. Um, so I guess ten or plus zero is is the average. Mm-hmm. The problem is the scholars don't want to get close enough to them to actually study them, but they think they can even understand common and that they may have a language of their own made up of bird screeches and humanoid screams. Ooh, creepy. Yeah. So these things are driven to kill. These these are borderline apex predators. <laughs> the idea is that in the periton mind, killing and eating a perfect fresh heart will give them the opportunity to ascend to a higher form of being. Oof. With that said, only humans can have a perfect heart. Oh, really? Yeah, though it'll still kill other creatures. Hmm. So this is like this is what this is what scholars suspect is true. Or this is what is true. They but that Peritons believe this. Uh, this is what scholars suspect is true, but okay. it has been written as fact in the Tui lore. Gotcha. Okay. So the idea is that they would never eat the heart of an elf, and I suspect this is due to that particular bardic tale that we touched on mm-hmm. being about elves in previous generations. Right. So the the adulterous elf could never have a perfect heart. Gotcha. And I guess I mean surely it's it's perfect in a more metaphorical sense, not not quite literally, uh, as in a nice healthy heart. Um, when they describe it as perfect, although what's what's a perfect heart and why is it only humans? I'm I'm assuming they didn't explain that. No, they definitely didn't, and <laughs> I I imagine it's more of um chasing the dragon kind of thing than an actual existent possibility. Right. So there's just this constant belief that eating a fresh and, and perfect heart is what will cause them to ascend. So they're ever, ever seeking it, never yeah. really finding it. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Does that, do you feel like that implies that there's a euphoric um, sort of aspect to the, the, the consuming of the heart? I'm glad you asked. Um, the, the consuming of a fresh heart has a direct impact on the mating ritual. Oh, so if okay. female peritons are not fertile unless they eat a fresh humanoid heart. And they'll okay. only remain fertile for 13 to 18 after hours after consumption. Oh, wow. So it's it's directly paired into their reproduction. So it does something when they do consume it that, that you know, whether it's euphoric or whether it's, it's something in the heart that causes them to, you know, affect them physically. Or even it's just their own mind and belief of the consumption that causes a, a shift in their, phys- their physiology that allows them to be fertile. That's really cool. I actually really like that. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting take on it. And I like this as well. They lay eggs with shells as hard as metal. Oh, what kind of metal? 
It didn't say, but I'd imagine steel. Liquid mercury. (laughs) I mean, it can't, like, it can't be an iron heart. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, So after they eat the heart, in 5th edition lore specifically, the shadow changes back into its actual form, as opposed to its humanoid form. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's there's that. It eats the heart. It's able to reproduce, and then it actually, and then its shadow changes to its form. They tend to hunt and nest in groups of two to eight, preferring temperate uh, climates like forests, mountains, hills. Though they can survive in colder climates and are known to exist throughout the spine of the world, and there is, in fact, mention of them in Icewind Dale. Can confirm. Okay. All right. So they tend to prey on people who are walking alone on mountain roads, which causes people to avoid this because they know that normal weapons won't do as much damage to a periton. Though they do see like settlements of people as as uh, renewable resources. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's listed in the 5e book that like, they don't come out and say it, but like a common adventure hook will be like, come fucking get rid of this. <laughs> like yeah, these, these bastards, they found the village and they won't go away. They keep picking off our children. For fuck's so sake. <laughs> there's your adventure hook for the day, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Also a good way to, spoiler alert, uh, kill your first level party <laughs> real fast. <laughs> I don't think you guys were first level. I think you were level appropriate. <laughs> so well, that's what I mean, though. If it's your adventure hook and you're starting your first level, you're going to kill them. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't think an adventure hook has to start your campaign. I just oh, that's like, true. Here's, that's that's true. That's true. Here's here's your adventure. I I don't know. I mean, that's that's me being pedantic and how I believe that word is used in <laughs> yeah. this particular game system. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, it's fine. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much it for D and D lore. There's not. Uh, it's all really good and interesting, but there's not mm. a lot there. There is more on the Forgotten Realms wiki, listeners, if you guys are interested. It goes into like depth about their ecology and stuff like that, but a lot of that stuff is counterintuitive to the 5e specifically stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention was uh, there are a couple of fun facts here. The first is that 1128DR was the year of the Periton. I legitimately have no idea why, and I could not figure out why. Uh, Forgotten uh, Realms does not do a particular good job of that. Good old D and D and their little, little their little useless tidbits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the second one I think is actually useful is that griffins are their only natural predator, which is I love that. I love the uh, idea of griffins being a predator. I never think about it, you know. Yeah, like, they're like majestic dog birds, but. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, why not? You know, uh, they, they, we, I think we often think of them as, you know, sort of honorable flying mounts of some kind that are trained to be mounts, but like, you know, they definitely occur in the wild. So they would have to prey on something. For sure. And uh, this is, they're, they're a natural enemy of the Peritons. So cool. I like that. I like it when mythical creatures are natural enemies. Yeah. Like, well, what are you, what are you doing in this guy? That's my sky. <laughs> <laughs> So, cultural lore, I'm sure you listeners guessed it. Uh, <laughs> this is from our boy, Georges Louis Borges. <laughs> Love this guy. <laughs> we, we talk about this guy so much. I think that somebody must have gotten Gary a, like, the, the book of imaginary beings when he was a kid. Like, it, <laughs> it, I feel like he just rewrote this book with stats. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Eh? <laughs> uh. So obviously they first appear in the Book of Imaginary Beings from 1957. There will be yet another link in the show notes. However, this is where it starts to get a little interesting. 
And I just, I mean, like, just a little bit. I wish it was so much more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Supposedly, Peritons are from a long-lost medieval manuscript. There's exactly zero evidence of this other than Georges-Louis Borges, like, comments in his, in his footnotes. <laughs> okay, yeah. They are, in fact, um, stags or deer, the head, neck, and antlers, mm-hmm. uh, and four legs with the plumage and wings and hindquarters of a large bird. So I've sent you a... <laughs> photo <laughs> that's amazing of one of the wilds um i believe that's a deer that's not that doesn't really come across as a stag that, that's definitely not photoshopped <laughs> no definitely way. not no nope. that's on the wikipedia page that's the wikipedia profile no kidding photo. oh my god that's so uh, funny so that'll be on our instagram it's it's fantastic <laughs> yeah it looks like it was edited on a cell phone from like 2007 <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's either that or it's like a really funny taxidermy and someone just put it on a hill. And That's kind of what I want it to it. be so much, like the jackalope, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay. The ones in uh, Georges-Louis Borges' book, I think I'm saying that correctly, they cast the shadow of a man until they eat a man. Mm-hmm. Then they show their own shadow, similar to the, the way they work in 5e. Sure, yeah. This is what I want more on, is according to imaginary beings they were originally from atlantis when an earthquake <laughs> destroyed atlantis they just flew away <laughs> like oh well cities in the ocean might as well find some new places to live finally yeah. <laughs> pretty much yeah uh weird okay <laughs> yeah and there are a couple of real world references from uh from borges here uh one is that a sibyl once said that peritons would lead to the downfall of rome the source on this uh, makes me highly uncomfortable, but I really like the idea of this, and I had to look up what a sibyl was, so that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. They are female oracles. Oh, I feel like I knew this, and we're, let me let me guess real quick: are they uh, aren't they weren't they like uh, underage, like really young teenage girls, and they were like kept high on like, hallucinogenics? Um, probably. I didn't really go that deep in it. Yeah, and they were like they'd live these really fucked up lives, um, and they would just they just basically went insane, and they were considered oracles. As far as I know about oracles themselves, yes, yeah, um, the most famous being the Oracle of Delphi. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea here is that this was just a Roman oracle. Um, okay, so probably I, w- I would imagine so, yeah. um, or they were just like um, grifters, I guess, old world grifters. Yeah, <laughs> really good at telling you what was gonna like, or uh, fortune tellers. I guess yeah, might be. Really, really I mean, give, potato really potato. The daily hor- horoscope. <laughs> yeah, potato potato. Fortune teller yeah. grifter. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the only surviving real world reference to peritons outside of our boy Borges is. The battle standard of a particular Duke of Bourbon, I could not find which one, mm-hmm. <laughs> where the Periton is like of the battle standard. I could not find a photo of it. I could not find out which Duke of Bourbon it was. And the exact origins of this creature still remain unclear because there's no way this fucking Duke of Bourbon just made up this <laughs> right. bitey bird stag and threw it on his <laughs> battle standard. Like yeah. there's, um, there's, there's more there, but we have no fucking idea what it is. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, 
a strange uh, point of order uh, that I'm, I'm really quite sure. I don't know like full details, but I'm quite sure this is true. Is that what you read there, Duke, Duke, uh, Duke of Bourbon? It's actually Bourbon or Bourbon um, when it's considered the uh, the uh, European royalty, and Bourbon uh, as the whiskey, as far as I know, is uh, either entirely unrelated. Or, or is like lost to history, and um, so the the fact they're spelled the same but, but pronounced differently is like just like a coincidence. Okay, um, kind of like convergent evolution. Yeah, and I, I feel like I actually learned that I think from watching a sh- um, one watching a, a really cool show uh, called uh, Foils War. It's a World War Two uh, crime drama. And I think I heard the name in there at one point as like a royal uh, lineage. And then also playing the game uh, Metro 2033. It's all takes place in Russia. But there's a character nicknamed Bourbon. And we always thought it was um, a friend of mine, a friend of the show, Corey Nash. uh, He... We'd always joke about how uh, it was just a really bad Russian pronunciation of the word bourbon. Because he's oh, like, okay. oh, bourbon. And it's like really outrageous. But I think it's actually just more rooted in the fact that that's how it's pronounced in the European line. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a duchy, um, but specifically mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Dukes of Bourbon uh, are from mm-hmm. France. So that makes a lot more sense. For sure. Yeah. It's a region of Burgundy. Um, Again, that would I'm make prepared sense. Prepared to yeah. be corrected on it, so you're probably right. It probably is bourbon. Bourbon. <laughs> it's spelled bourbon. That's not my it's fault. Spelled bourbon. Yeah. What a what a lovely beverage. <laughs> so that brings us to the differences between the uh, real world and the D and D lore, and the only big one that I I could see was that Peritons and Five E aren't from uh, an ancient underwater civilization. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure D and D has an Atlantis because that feels like a missed opportunity if they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's about all I could come up with. They're really similar. They eat hearts. Well, I mean, I guess the one in five E specifically eats hearts. Where, but they both they both seek out people, humans, at the very least, and and yep. devour them and kill them. So it's all the more or less the same. And the, the shadow things very very much the same there. Yeah, the the combination of deer and bird is a little bit different, but it's close yeah. enough that I'm willing to call this one a draw. Yeah, I li- actually like the fact that uh, both ha- ha- in the the five E lore and the cultural lore that the origins are both just come from very dubious sources. Scholars suspect and a bard's tale, you know, like right, that, like that's reliable, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and then of exactly. course we've got we've got uh, our our old pal Gary. Are we call him Gary now. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I, if I if if he was still alive, I feel like we'd be on a first name basis, and that, that's not arrogance. I just truly yeah. believe that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, um, I like uh, I truly maybe. believe if you called him up, he'd just be like, "Why are you calling me, Mister Gygax? <laughs> like my name is fucking Gary." <laughs> Yeah, that's totally fair. Like he he just gives off that energy. Like all the interviews <laughs> I've seen with him and all the videos and all the all the stories I've heard of people who knew him, he, he just gave off that. Yeah. Like his, his name is Gary. <laughs> like <laughs> well, I just love that like you know he he's just pulling he's pulling from, you know, George or, or Jorge. Um, you know, I'm not even sure. I can't remember where he's from at this point and so how, how, how which one would be more appropriate, but but yeah, and, you know, he's just even he picked from a dubious source like you said, you know. Yeah. So, supposedly from a long-lost medieval manuscript. That's enough said. Moving on. <laughs> I yeah. love it. It's just a, another hilarious consistency. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's it's a good creature. Um 
I quite like them overall. Doing the research often makes me like creatures more than I used to, but I yeah. don't know. For some reason, I, I did even so with these guys. And, you know, there's yeah. <laughs> clearly not much in either aspect, but they're neat. They're neat creatures. They are neat creatures, for sure. <laughs> you know what else is neat there, good buddy? The fact that we've gotten this done so far in under 30 minutes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, and this delicious blackmail stout. Uh, so allow me to give you uh, the first on-air bad news of 2021. The floor recognizes Mr. Eiston. <laughs> I found out the other day that blackmail is no longer a milk stout. And it might have not been a milk stout for almost a year now. <laughs> they don't do the lactose in it anymore. We're going to cut that. It's still blackmail. It's still a Northwest Stout. Yeah, uh, I have but, uh, I have actually looked at at cans while we're recording this bit and seen milk stout. Um, the one I'm currently oh, really? looking at actually does not say Doesn't, milk stout, right? So I mean, someone just told me this in passing the other day, and, was, and the first thing I went to my head was like, "Oh shit, we keep calling it the blackmail Northwest milk stout." <laughs> but like, how long ago did they stop? I don't know. <laughs> So I'm going to go just right out and, and fire on all cylinders. And this is strange, fellas. Fault. If they sponsored the show, we would have accurate information about this. One, you, were, you are absolutely correct. This is the fault <laughs> of our non-sponsor, strange fellas. The, their mis, their, the misinformation uh, now tied to their brand is on them. I'm tempted to give the sponsorship slot to Cole Harbor next week. Ugh. Oh. Oh my God, that's not that's that's not true. That's a funny joke that I'm actually going to leave in. Uh, Cole Harbor is garbage beer, and if you ever come to Vancouver, don't drink it. I uh, I, I honestly could even name you a Cole Harbor beer, so I, I'm going to believe you. I must I must be avoiding it. The point is, the point is, this is Strange Fellow's fault. <laughs> yes, couldn't agree more. And with this with this unfortunate news and revelation. Uh, in regards to uh, branding and um, accidentally telling, you know, false truths to our listeners. Um, let's drink this beer and get into the mechanics. I hate that now that you've brought that up, it doesn't taste as good to me. <laughs> it's still good. It's more dry, I think. But um, It is more dry. Yeah. It is more dry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mechanics uh so they are a cr2 so they're pretty low-key mm-hmm. hp 33 ac 13 hp is pretty high yeah it is pretty high and you guys had a lot of problems with that specifically uh they're mm. medium chaotic evil monstrosities mm-hmm. they understand common and elvish they have damage reduction to bludgeoning, piercing, slashing, non-magical. So that oh. HP has effectively doubled at second level. Yep. Love it. Uh, land speed of 20, so they can like, hop around like weird mm-hmm. weird birds do. Yeah. And they've got a fly speed of 60 feet, which is pretty fantastic. Uh, yeah, that fly speed what, is what really really is the kicker at, at a CR2. It's actually super not. Wait till we get to their abilities. That fly speed kind of doesn't even matter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, their stats are pretty mediocre across board. Uh, strength is, uh, plus three dex con whiz or plus one intelligence is minus one charisma is zero. So (laughs) you want to, you can either listen to that back with 
your volume up because I feel like I muttered that. And or you can just look <laughs> in the monster manual because you yeah. all own that. <laughs> the abilities. This is where things start to get bad. Um, and I, I do mean that. I, I really don't think these are a CR two creature, and we will uh, we'll, we'll discuss when I get through the stat block here. Um, but I think you're going to agree pretty quickly, uh, and you can see why it it nearly TPK'd you guys. Well, I don't want to say it nearly TPK'd you guys, but it gave you some real problems. Yeah. The first ability, and keep in mind these are abilities, not attacks, so it can do multiple abilities in one round if they do not have a um, consequence. Right. The first one is called Dive Attack. If flying and dives at least 30 feet straight towards the target and hits, it does an extra 2d8 damage. Mm. The one directly below that is Flyby, which means it does not provoke when it flies out of reach. Yeah. It has Keen Sight and Smell, which kind of whatever, uh, advantage on uh, perception checks for sight or smell. Uh, w- sure. I mean, it makes sense mechanically because they hunt humans. But honestly, compared to Flyby and Dive Attack, it does nothing for me. Yeah, uh... So I see it's got multi-attack, though. Oh, yeah. The attacks are pretty ruthless, too. Yeah. So we're looking at, you got a gore here, plus 5 to hit, 1d8 plus 3, and then a talon, plus 5 to hit, 2d4 plus 3. Man, that can really add up. I mean, this is clearly a creature that when it's hunting, if you want to play it like the most deadly, um, it's not flying it super high, you know? Um, we're looking at that same that same thing we were talking about with dinosaurs, the dive attack, and, you know, the, uh, I think it was the trample or some such, um, where, you know, it's clearly they got to move a, a minimum of half their speed in order for, to get, uh, get advantage of that. So, you know, they're going to have to fly low and, but, but also somehow keep their distance and, uh, make sure that, um, you know, some, some target is in that 30 foot range away from them. And then when they are, they can be extremely deadly. Yeah. They're diving in, hitting you for 1d8 plus 3, 2d4 plus 3, and 2d8 on top of that. No, I don't think that's in. accurate. You don't think that's accurate? No, no, I don't. I I mean, maybe it is, and if you're ruthless, it probably is. The way I played it is that it flies the 30 feet straight down, does the 2d4 plus 3 for the talons, and the 2d8 mm-hmm. extra, and then it flies 30 feet away uh, with the flyby. Right, so you don't give it the multi-attack on that. With you guys, I did not give it the multi-attack. <laughs> I only gave it the multi-attack okay. if it was um, moved in and stayed there. If it was flying out of reach, I did not give it the multi-attack. Gotcha. Okay. It's by, by 5e rules, we, we definitely both know, especially for PCs, so you can break up your movement and any of your attacks however you want. Uh, there's no um, penalizing that. So you can like run up to one guy and attack and then move again and attack you know my provoking in between and stuff but these guys are obviously going to avoid that but that is legit by the rules at least for pcs yeah so i think the way these guys are written the way you're supposed to use them is they dive attack and then you multi-attack and then you multi-attack and then you fly by so you fly out of reach and then you rinse and repeat right i decided to um give them two abilities in one round and just in and out um Mm -hmm. as i wanted to fuck with that that was uh, one of the first combats we did that was really memorable and uh it was also still while we were doing theater of the minds there was no battle map there was no grid it was it was uh it was a very very difficult combat for you guys yeah yeah and we've been we sort of been vaguely referencing it so far but uh for the listeners like this was like our probably you know like third or fourth encounter in the very first campaign that you ran and i played in would you say um it it was definitely an earlier one. I, I don't yeah. I cannot confirm or I don't think it was that early. Okay. 
Um, I think I think it was a little bit later. Yeah, um, but regardless, it was very deadly. It was someone went down pretty fast. I recall. I think someone almost died. That was our first real scare. I feel like um, other than the the uh, the, the banshee but nonsense that was just yeah. being foolish. Uh, but this was like a proper combat, and you know, this was one of the first ones that I wrote, and it took place after we did the Lost Minds of Fendelver. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I know, I know that uh, my fiance uh, Jess, she's got really solid memories of this, and she brings it up pretty often. She, I think, she went down, stabilized with the natural twenty, and then just hid under one of the dead bodies of the periton and slung spells up at the other ones who were flying up and down. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was a wild. I being a hell of a thing. I think. I think the way uh, you know the way you you like it's it's all the specifics are pretty vague to me at this point. I'm sure you remember more because you were running that. But you I know, don't. The way you <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I mean the the strategy you said you you used it, it seems like a much more fair thing because I I really do think these guys could be far more deadly if you use them you know by the exacting rules. But it, it also doesn't make sense to just like you know use a stat block in the most min maxed way. You know, there was there was two of them, right? When we when we fought, I think there was three or four, three or four. Okay, yeah i I learned very quickly not to throw <laughs> just one monster at you. Yeah, <laughs> it's bad news. Um, but uh, but I think this was the first time we ran into Dr. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, other than the Banshee, <laughs> you guys didn't really fight the Banshee though. No, the Banshee not really. just I think, kind of I, think I took one swing and it was like fuck. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a level one barbarian. This is not going to do it. <laughs> so I think this was the first full combat that I roped you into, um, yeah. where you did, uh, where you encountered Dr. And I'm, I, I mean that, listeners. I roped them into this. Um, yeah. This, um, this scene was pretty much uh, the way it played out in my mind was them running through a field and the Peritons attacking them. It- yeah, I, re- I remember that, and I remember, I remember you emphasizing the danger of going into the field, and we decided oh, to good. do it anyway. I don't remember telegraphing that at all, it, but I remember. I think I remember that because I, I I vaguely recall there were like maybe several directions to go in. Okay. Um, and and you were like you know and I think this was called you were like called it the killing fields or some shit like that. <laughs> and then we that kind of put us give us some pause. Oh, that's awesome. Like, do we see anything? I never <laughs> thought like, I was that nope. that good at telegraphing stuff. Oh, I think you might have. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm just mixing up with another story heard. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> but like that rings a bell to me. I remember. I feel like I remember going in there and being like, okay, we got to be careful. <laughs> Yeah, but this was just straight up that that raptor scene out of Jurassic Park: The Lost World. Yeah. Like that—that's how I wrote it. Is there was yeah. no cover for them other than in the tall grass. Right. Yeah, I remember the tall grass at being a field. I remember that very much. Yeah. Like this, this was that scene from Jurassic Park. So do not be afraid to steal from amazing, amazing movies. And <laughs> yeah. Put it into sure. your game. It works. <laughs> amazing. Oh my god, <laughs> killing me. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to keep bringing it back to dinosaurs for the rest of the year, I yeah. think. Just try and get one reference in every, yeah. every episode. Yeah, I mean, you got anything else? Uh, I was going to ask you if you had any experience with them outside of that game. Um, no, I uh, definitely never used them. Um, I remember wanting to when I was in Australia, but never getting around to it. And then... Yeah, I, th- I think just off the top of my head, how I would use it, you know, I'd probably create like a just a, a two peritone encounter to start, and you know, and I would have like one uh, dive attacking, and then one actually gets down on the ground, and and the other one doesn't come down until the first one is is slain, or maybe they they swap every couple rounds if they manage to survive. So I'd, I'd keep like one, you know, really like being bothersome from the air, and one on the ground multi attacking. Okay. 
I think that makes sense. I might have done that with you guys too. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have like. There's only so many ways you can keep a barbarian down at second level, so I think I think I might have <laughs> yeah. done that with one of them. Yeah, and it's it's really it's really tough when you know obviously they only have um, a 20 foot land speed, so they're they're at a disadvantage, you know, while they're on the ground technically, unless you play it like you, where that that's only when they get the multi attack. But um, you know, it's a uh, it's the sort of thing that you 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 it's you have to be very careful, especially at lower level parties, not to just like let them fly around and dive bomb and, and get away and like and just slowly kill them. Um, not every party has the ability to take something fr- down from the air, you know. So you gotta be you gotta be make the make the situation fair to that to your party at the very least. Yeah, I've learned that the hard way in a couple of games. Like even <laughs> I to this day have played um, characters who have no ranged abilities. But yeah, I don't really have anything else. They're pretty simple, basic creature, but a lot of fun to run, a lot of good lore there. More on the Forgotten Realms wiki if you want to look it up. Yeah, I mean, good 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 flavor, cool creature. Um I guess the only other thing I have is looking at the at the artwork from uh 1 through 3 and 5. You know, there's they're fairly consistent with I think with one exception, I feel like the 3E art that that face is very wolf-like as opposed to stag-like. Um I feel yeah, I can see it. I think it might just be how it's how it's shaped. Yeah. Um, but they all have like deer faces with fangs. Yeah. I get it. I I can see it though. Um I really like the five E art. I really love the coloring on it. It's almost like a watercolor. Yeah, and its teeth are like particularly terrifying in that art as well. I keep uh there's a part of me that keeps mixing these guys up with like a hippogriff. Um, and thinking that they're four legged, and then I look at the artwork, and you see the the, the land speed, and you're like, well, obviously they're not two; le- they're four legged. Well, uh, sweet, Peritons. I like it. Nice, simple, breezy episode. That was good. I like that, James. Thank you. Quick and easy in the books. <laughs> if you like that, you can uh, hit us up on patreon.com backslash encounterpod. $5 a month will get you a handwritten letter and access to our show notes. You can see how we recorded these episodes. $10 a month, you can suggest a creature like our previous dinosaur suite, elithids before that, and some other things we talked about in the year of our Lord 2020. <laughs> Year of the Periton. <laughs> the Year of the Periton. Uh, if you just want to hit us up on social media and tell us whether or not you liked it, what we got wrong, uh, if you want to tell us why it's the Year of the Periton, you can find me on Twitter at EncounterPod. You can find us both on Facebook at facebook.com backslash EncounterPod. Or you can hit up Freeman or see this really weird Photoshop taxidermy deer eagle uh, at our Instagram page at Instagram in backslash encounter dot pod and our home on the web is encounter this.ca where you can find uh, all of our past episodes as well as links to our show notes in the in the blog section so just find the show click on click on it and then you'll find all the show notes so this one in particular will have the link to imaginary beings uh, from 1957 <laughs> as will i feel like every other episode we've recorded so. <laughs> man we've plugged that book so many times <laughs> uh it's good though uh, remember to rate and review on your platform of choice. It uh, helps us out, really helps new people see us, or tell a friend about us. I mean, why not introduce somebody to something new in January of 2021 or wherever in the future you're listening to this? Everybody needs more paratents in their life. They're <laughs> mysterious and mythological. I am so, so sleepy. This intro, <laughs> this outro is so bad. Uh, it's fine. <laughs>